Prayer is a significant part of the life of a Christian. It is the way we connect with God, fellowship with Him, make requests, call out for help. Prayer is the way that we can make a difference in the lives of people around us, the people we care about. Today, we learn about prayer from the Garden of Gethsemane. Hi, this is Robert Furrow. If you want to know more about prayer, we've got some links to studies on prayer in the description below. There's also timestamps for this video if you want to skip to a part that is more important to you. The comment section is open below. We would love to hear from you. Gethsemane was a place of great emotion, and it led to an incredibly fervent prayer by Christ. But he also encouraged his disciples to pray there as well. And what took place before the arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane centered around prayer, and we can learn a lot from it. Let's take a look at it. Luke 22:39 says, coming out, he was leaving the Last Supper. He went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed. And his disciples also followed him when he came to the place. Matthew tells us that this place was called Gethsemane, the place of the olive press. And John tells us that it was a garden, and both of these are significant. There somewhere in that garden was an olive press, and Jesus was about to be pressed in what we call the agony. It was also a garden. Sin and rebellion started in the garden, and Jesus started to free us from sin and rebellion in the garden. Adam, in a way, represented all of mankind in that garden. And Jesus represented all of mankind in that garden. His death on that cross, the sin that would provide salvation for anyone who would call upon his name. Now, I had said that Gethsemane was an emotional place. It was a place of great sorrow. Matthew 26, 36 says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And then he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be in sorrow and deeply distressed. And he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Now, he may have been telling them to watch because Judas was gonna show up with the guards, but I think Jesus was talking about watching in prayer. When we have a regular prayer time with God, and I'm not saying that it's gotta be three or four hours, but we just have a daily time where we seek him, we are watching, and we are praying about the things that are the most important to us. I encourage you to pray until you're done. Go find a quiet place. Jesus said, when you pray in secret, your Father will reward you openly and pray about the things you really care about. You're not just going through the motions. You're actually asking God for things, and that's going to end up with fervent prayer. Watch and pray. Now, there are several reasons people think that Jesus was so distressed and so sorrowful. Some talk about the dread of the cross, and maybe so. Some talk about the dread of becoming sin and being separated from the Father and maybe so. Some talk about a distress that he's about to receive the wrath of the Father in our place. Maybe so. But what Jesus is doing in the Garden of Gethsemane is carrying our sorrow and our griefs. It is a fulfillment of Isaiah 53. Jesus not only died on the cross for our sins, but the Bible says he was beaten for our peace and he carried our sorrows and our griefs. In Isaiah 53, 3 and 4, it says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. That was his life. 
He knew what it was like to be in sorrow and grief over the consequences of the sin and all of the lives of the people that were around him. And it says, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Did you get it there? Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. This doesn't mean that we don't feel grief and sorrow. It means he carries it with us. It also means that when you go through something that someone else goes through, you can say, I know how you feel. And you don't know exactly how you feel, but you know it similarly. Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. And he's there in your sorrow and grief because he experienced it with you. How powerful that this is what was happening to Christ in the garden. He was carrying our sorrow and grief. In Luke 22:40, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn for about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and he prayed. Now he told the disciples that they were to pray lest they enter into temptation. We're also told in the Lord's Prayer to pray, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. There is a connection between being able to overcome temptation, not enter into temptation, and prayer. If you are prayerless, or you only pray about the things that you want, and you don't take time to seek God for your Christian walk and the struggles that you're having, just spending time with him, praying about the people around you, praying about what you're facing and going through, and praying about the things that you are tempted by. We know that we are going to be tempted in the future. Jesus had told Peter, Satan is asking to sift you like we, and we know that we are going to be tested. And so we wanna prepare for that temptation. Jesus told Peter to prepare for it by praying. Maybe you don't pray at all, then begin to pray. Maybe you pray some, try to pray a little more. Pray until you're done. I learned a long time ago that trying to pray for an hour or two hours becomes brutal because you're just trying to find things to pray about. But I also learned it's important for me to pray about what I need to pray for. And when something is on my heart and I really care about it, I pray and I pray until I'm finished. And that way it's not legalistic. It's simply I, like I brush my teeth, a couple of times a day. So I pray every day, spending some time with him, asking him to help the things that are in our lives that we need help with. And temptation is one of those things that is connected to prayer. If you've got a really strong temptation in your life now, then begin to pray, ask God for help, ask God to forgive you, ask God to help you be able to face the temptation. Now, I do believe that had Peter listened to Jesus and prayed and sought God, that he would have been able to escape temptation because Jesus means what he says when he says, pray lest you enter into temptation. And so Peter could have made a difference a little bit later on that night when he denied Jesus. But you say Jesus already foretold that it was going to happen. Yeah, but that's because Jesus knew. He foreknows the future. And had Peter prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, we would have heard something different. Prayer changes destinies. In the Old Testament, there's a king, Hezekiah, and Isaiah comes to him and says, you are gonna die from this illness. But as Isaiah leaves, Hezekiah turns his face to the wall and cries out to God. And God moves on Isaiah to go back in and tell him that he's gonna give him more years. His prayer changed his destiny. God had a plan, 
but his prayer changed God's plan. There was one thing that was true about Hezekiah, but when Hezekiah prayed, another thing became true. And we might not understand how all of that works, but it's important for us to know that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. That is, if the righteous, fervent man didn't pray, there would be things that would not be accomplished. Prayer changes things. I heard someone say once that prayer doesn't change things, it changes us. That's not true. Prayer changes things and it changes us. When you face temptation that seems overwhelming, when you repeatedly fall in the same area time and time again, I'll ask you, have you seriously daily prayed about it? Have you sought God to walk with him and have that relationship with him? I love the idea of Abraham walking out to the outskirts of camp in the evening to spend some time with God, just to quietly interact with him, let God speak to him and him speaking to God. And he, it said, was God's friend. And we have that kind of a relationship with him. We can go out and spend time. We can pray. We can pray about our struggles and our difficulties. And when we do, things don't need to catch us off guard. Now in Luke 22, 42, Jesus praying says, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The first thing that we learn here is that Jesus prays according to the Father's will. We're taught this in the Lord's Prayer as well. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To pray for God's will is not a lack of faith as some try to say it. But to pray for God's will is a surrender to whatever God has for you. Jesus is in the deepest, darkest moments of his life. And even facing what he was facing, the crucifixion, the wrath of God, the suffering of scourging, being made sin, even though he's facing those things, he's willing to say, whatever your will is. It teaches us that no matter what's going on in the darkest moments of our lives, that we are still to be concerned about the will of God. Remember what Romans 12, one and two says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, perfect will of God for you. We wanna be obedient to his will. You can ask him to deliver you. You can ask him to heal you. But we always come back to the same thing Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. Now, he also asked that the cup would be taken away. He didn't just pray for the will, but he prayed something very specific. And this cup was a cup that Jesus would have to drink. It's also important to understand that Jesus prayed a similar prayer three times. This isn't that we repeat a prayer without thinking about it. Jesus, in fact, said, don't think that you're heard for your many words like the heathens do. Don't pray that way, but praying until you get an answer or praying several times for something. Jesus did it and wasn't considered to be carnal. So those who tell you that you lack faith because you pray for something more than once, do not understand the basic principles of prayer. Ask, the Bible says, and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking, knock and keep knocking, and you will receive and the door will be open to you and you will find. God wants us asking and looking and seeking and God will respond to us. Now in Luke 22, 43, it says, then an angel appeared to him from heaven to strengthen him. What an amazing thing. That is Jesus is in the midst of fervent prayer 
of agony as he's asking for God's will that he is strengthened by angels. This is the second time that that's happened. In Matthew 4:11, it says the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. I wonder if angels don't minister to us far more than we think. And if Jesus in the midst of prayer is being strengthened by an angel, how do we know that when we pray, we're not being strengthened by angels as well? Psalms 34, seven says, the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Hebrews 1.14 says, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who inherit salvation? And if Jesus was ministered to in a moment of weakness after resisting temptation and is strengthened in the garden of Gethsemane, then maybe they minister to us in similar ways. Paul said in Acts 27, 23, for there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve. Angels work alongside of us. Now, continuing on in the Garden of Gethsemane, after Jesus is strengthened by this angel, it says, and being in agony. That word agony is the only time the word is used in the entire Bible. It comes from the idea of being in contention or a competition and being in the midst of that agony, that struggle. So when Jesus was praying, there was a struggling going on. And I think that this helps us to understand by this word agony that prayer is spiritual warfare. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm, that I'm talking to the devil. It doesn't mean that I'm always praying about the things the devil could do or asking him to bind the devil. You, that, that might happen in prayer. There's no problem with saying, God, would you bind the enemy in the life of my son, in the life of our, our life? Help us to be able to walk with you, putting on our armor. That's good to pray that way. But I think prayer also, when we're praying about our struggle over temptation, or asking God to help us with a financial problem or a mental issue or a health issue, that we are struggling, that there is a contention that is taking place. And it says that during this, sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Now there is a medical condition that is very rare where people can actually have blood in their sweat and sweat out drops of blood. I don't know if that's what's taking place here, but the idea is that he prayed fervently. He knew the importance of what he was praying about and he prayed it seriously and he prayed it fervently. And again, the fervent effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. Now, after Jesus had gone through this, it says when he had rose up from prayer, he came to his disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. So they were going through sorrow as well, but they chose to sleep instead of to seek God spiritually. Sometimes our fatigue needs to be put aside so we can seek God. Then he said to them again, rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. So here at the beginning and the end, he says to them that they are to pray that they don't enter into temptation. A very important part of prayer for us and a reason for us to be serious about it. Now, three things in closing, whatever you face, you do not face alone. You can call out to God, he is with you. Jesus said, Lo, I am with you wherever you go. We can be courageous because God is with us. Number two, prayer changes destinies. Make prayer a part of your daily life and seek him. And again, I'm not advocating for several hours of prayer. I'm just saying, get alone, pray privately, and the God who sees you in secret will reward you openly. Number three, 
it is amazing that there is an unseen world of angels working around us. Again, we're not just not alone because Jesus is with us, but because we have those who are helping us, those who are serving us. God has given us everything we need to succeed, and prayer is a very important key to that success. God bless you. I hope this helps. We'll see you next time on Hot Topics.